But I want to I wanted to share tonight. Uh, you know, we've been back from our uh, missions trip to Europe, what over a month now. And, uh, you know, many of you have said to us before we left, you know, you, you will never be the same. Your life will change, you know, after this trip. And, boy, were you guys so right. Um, really, it, it was a life-changing uh, experience, and um, it was so much to take in. I mean, we ended up in 11 countries in 16 days, and uh, ministering and, and uh, just hearing what the Lord wanted to say um, and I believe that that was just the beginning. I've, and as I mentioned to you guys before we left, that we represent you guys. We represent Christian embassies. So when we went, you guys went as well. You made an impact wherever we went as well. Well, one of the nations, one of the countries that uh, we were initially invited to, and uh, we believe it was very strategic for us to be there, um, was Czech Republic. And... Um, I just fell in love with that country. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, uh, which country was your favorite? And, of course, our kids, uh, especially our, our two youngest, it was just so hard to, to pick a favorite. Uh, our kids loved Romania, which I was like, yay, um, being Romanian. But, you know, there was something special in my heart, and I love Romania, but there was something special in my heart that I came back, and it was like I left a part of my heart back in Czech Republic. And it's like I can't get those people off my heart and that country. And I pray for, for that country and those people day and night. I mean, I, I just can't get them off my mind. So, you know, in, in the first week, I was like, okay, this is just the excitement. You know, it's going to wear off. Well, it hasn't. And I believe that God is calling us, Christian Embassy, uh, to this nation and to bring revival. The whole theme of our trip was welcome Holy Spirit. And um, so then uh, a few days ago, I ran across, uh, I love church history, and I love to study the revivalists, and um, I, w I ran across um, an anniversary that was taking place uh, uh, of the um, martyrdom of John Huss. How many of you have ever heard of John Huss? Okay, so um, John Huss was one of the reformers uh, from Czech Republic. And this is a statue we literally, this is John Huss, this is uh, in Prague, and we literally stood right in front of that statue. John Huss was um, an amazing reformer. He was a follower of John Wycliffe, and then when he came along, he gained a, a great following, even greater than uh, his uh, predecessors. And um, he was so influential that the Catholic Church was very threatened by this uh, guy, by this preacher. And um, he was uh, really preaching against the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church and the Pope were wanting people to worship them. They wanted the Pope's uh, word to be the, uh, you know, the final authority and and John uh, uh, Huss said, absolutely not. Jesus is the head of the church, not the Pope. And the Word of God is the ultimate authority of the church. Well, the Catholic Church, the religious um, establishment, um, they got together in the council and um, they decided that we're going to burn him alive. And uh, so he was martyred for standing up to the religious system in that day. And what was so interesting is that 
You know, this nation, when, when the Lord called us to go, and I started praying and doing some research, I found out, and I've shared this with you before, that um, Czech Republic is the most atheist nation in Europe. It's the third most atheist nation in the world after China and Japan. And I, I, I could not believe it when we got there, um, in, in, we stayed in the city center, and then we um, toured that area everywhere you looked. And you, you can um, show some of the other uh, images. Um, there we are standing in front of the uh, statue. You see the statue in the back. Um, and then the amazing thing, everywhere you looked, there were Christian symbols. I mean, crosses and angels and, and uh, Jesus, you know, crucified and the saints. And, the, you know, it, it was everywhere. It was just amazing, the architecture and how you, how can you be an atheist nation? And you look, look at this cathedral. This was, I mean, literally, I got left behind. Uh, our kids and our, uh, and Pastor Tim got tired of me just, I, literally, my mouth was just dropped open um, at the magnitude and awesomeness of, you know, these cathedrals and, and, you know, all pointing to heaven, to Jesus, to God. And yet, how can these people not believe? I mean, you know, it, it, they're not even like a Catholic nation. They're an, an atheist nation, okay? And so, as, you know, as I'm learning more church history and I'm learning about this rich history of this nation, I'm thinking, wow, this nation at one time had some of the most amazing preachers, they had the word preached, just like John Huss. And I encourage you to do some reading and learn more about the history. I, I believe when God calls us to a country, he wants us to know all about the culture, the food, the people, you know, all of that. And so we can relate to them, right? And so I was thinking, wow, isn't it sad how this can happen? And then I'm thinking about our country here in America you know, that can happen. We are literally one to two generations away from losing Christianity. You know, we can never take Christianity for granted. We can never take our faith for granted. And, you know, I was thinking about that because a lot of times I pray with people. So this is not just talking. This is, this is happening in real life because I pray with people and people ask me, Pray for my children. They're not serving the Lord. Pray for my great uh, grandchildren. My grandchildren are not in church. I would so love them for them to be here and, you know, enjoy the children's ministry and, and be discipled and pray and pray. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is, I'm talking to this person and this is the next generation and the next generation. And they're not serving the Lord. And this is America. This is in America. I'm not talking about Czech Republic anymore. And so tonight, I, I think so many times we as preachers, we take for granted the, the simple message of the Bible, and we think, oh, everybody knows. Everybody knows the Great Commission. Everybody knows the Great Commandment, right? But do we really believe it? We know it, but do we really believe it? Do we have the fire and the compelling to literally do what the word says or are we just you know we just know it in our head and i believe i have been praying 
for revival. And I believe that we need revival, not just in Czech Republic and in, in um, Europe and in other nations, but we need it right here. If I was to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have children or grandchildren or people in your family, spouses or aunts and uncles who are not serving the Lord, I believe each one of you would raise your hand. Each one of us is affected by this imminent loss of Christianity. And I believe that God is saying, it's time to wake up, church. It's time to wake up, or we're going to become a nation, just like Czech Republic, with these amazing, beautiful cathedrals that are now empty. There's no worship to God taking place. It's all a tourist. It's all void of God's presence. It's become a museum. It's dead. There's death. And God is saying, I want to bring life back. Amen? And I believe that before we lose the life in our churches, I believe that, you know, we need to sound the trumpet and we need to say, God, here am I, send me. Are we willing to be missionaries? Are we willing to be the messengers and to go and tell people the good news of salvation? And tonight, I just want us to uh, focus on, like I said, we're going to do a couple of just talk about a, a, a basic thing that we as Christians, we need to understand. I believe if we understand this and we do it, we're going to see revival. We're going to see the fire of God. I'm telling you, I am praying that the fire of God is going to be so ignited and burning so strong here at Christian Embassy that we don't need to advertise the church. That the people just passing by, they will see it. I want us to be so on fire that people will see the fire of God here at this church. And we don't, the, the fire of God will draw people. That, that the presence of God will be like a magnet. And people will be drawn here not knowing why and how. Now, I teach the Discover Embassy class. And usually, uh, people who come to that class are new people who come to the church. And uh, I was talking to a lady the other day, and she said, you know, I was uh, talking to the Lord, I was praying, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, I have lived here in Hampton Roads for over 20 years. Lord, why have you not sent me, why have you not shown me this church, Christian Embassy? She's so happy to be here. And she said, I'm just frustrated because I've been looking for this church for 20 years, and she works, she's, she worked at CBN literally three miles up the road. And so then, you know, we have people all the time saying, I, I never even knew about you guys. I've gr grown up here all my life. So that lets me know that somebody's keeping a secret. And guess what? The good news, the gospel is not a secret to be kept. It's news that have got to be shared. We have to share. We have to share what God is doing here, what God is doing in our lives. God has given you a story, and he doesn't want you to keep it as a secret. He wants you to share it. He wants you to tell it to those around you. So the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, if you're taking notes, I'm going to do this really quickly. Jesus is giving his disciples the, the last, what you would say, the last wish before he leaves them. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there, is, there are three points in this uh, commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. Number one, the first point, the first thing that Jesus asked them to do was to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, that in itself we call evangelism. Evangelism is so important. Let me just tell you tonight, you, each one of you sitting here, you are an evangelist. You have been called to be an evangelist. What does an evangelist mean? All it means is someone who tells the good news, who tells the good news of the gospel. And God has called each and every one of you to be an evangelist. So come on, say this with me. I want you to declare it. I am an evangelist. Go ahead and say it. I am an evangelist. Come on, say it. I am an evangelist. It's a good start. It's a good start. You got to know who you are, okay? It's a good start. You are an evangelist. I'm prophesying tonight to each one of you. You are called into the ministry, and you are called to be an evangelist. Amen? And to share the good news. Now, so many times, you know, we think, when we think of an evangelist, we think of Billy Graham. Wow, what an awesome evangelist, right? And you're thinking, man, Pastor Rodica just said that I'm an evangelist, but I'm nowhere near like Billy Graham. Well, guess what? Billy Graham had his own anointing, but God has given you your own anointing. Did you know that although Billy Graham was a wonderful evangelist, that was not what Jesus was talking about in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19 to 20? Did you know that? Did you know that what he was talking about is what we're just doing right here? What you just said, I am an evangelist, that's what Jesus was talking about. Jesus, if he was here tonight, he would tell you, you're an evangelist, now go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. In a 1990 interview with PBS, Billy Graham himself stated his belief that only about 25% of those who came forward at one of his events actually became Christians. Interesting. Only about 25% of the people who came forward actually became a Christian. Some of the ones that were coming were probably already Christian. They were just coming with a friend or, you know, some were just coming because, you know, it was cool to do, whatever. But only 25%. In recent years, studies have shown that only 6% of people who came forward at an evangelistic crusade are any different in their beliefs or behavior one year later. So 26% really became a Christian. And then out of those uh, 25, only 6% one year later are actually behaving and acting as a Christian, living the Christian life. So that shows us evangelism as we know it, you know, everybody, when they think of evangelism, Billy Graham is great, but it's not really what Jesus was talking about here in the Great Commission, right? And so because of that, guess what? We can no longer say, oh, I'm praying for Billy Graham, or I'm praying for Pastor Tim, or I'm praying, you know, God is putting the responsibility back on us, on each one of us. 
And he's saying, you're an evangelist. And guess what? Couple that with the great commandment. And what is the great commandment? Is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love what? Your neighbor as you love yourself. So you take the great commission and the great commandment. And how do we do it? We do it by loving. By loving those around us. That's where it starts. You just love people. We just love people. And it starts in the home. It's our neighbor. Did you know that our neighbor means our nearest one? Who can be nearer than your husband, your wife, your, your, your children, your family member? Those are your nearest. So we got to start loving them. We got to, you know, no preaching and beating them up with the Bible over their head and judging them. No, loving them. Yes, we got to teach them. That's what Jesus said, that part of that is to teach them to what? Obey everything that he has taught. So, yes, we got to teach them right from wrong. See, sometimes we think that love means I just love you. You can live any way you want. I just love you anyway. We love you as a person, but we don't love the sin, right? So we got to help people come out of their lifestyle of sin. If we love them, if you love them enough, you're going to warn somebody that you love, right? And you're going to say, if you keep going this direction, you're not going to end up well. And if we don't love them, then we're going to be, I don't care what happens to them. They can die tomorrow and go to hell. I don't care. That's what a lack of love is. But if we truly love, we're going to compel them. We're going to share with them the love of God. Amen? And so evangelism is very important, and it starts in our homes. It starts with our children, our brothers, our sisters, our spouses. And then it's going to spill over from our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplace, in our grocery stores, in our, you know, wherever we go. You know, it, it, we're seeing that in our home. I, I really have stopped caring what my house looks like because kids come in and out all day long. And you know what? I don't care that there's footprints all over my, you know, hardwood floors or, you know, the bathroom is a mess, you know, because, you know, these kids get an opportunity to come in and experience the presence and the love of God in our home. And recently, one of the friends of our kids said, there's something very special when I come to your home. I don't want to leave uh, to go back home. He said, I feel hugged when I'm here. He, he couldn't really explain. He says, I feel hugged when I'm here. You know, it's that simple. I don't preach to them. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't even mention God to them. I, I did lay hands on one of them. He has this uh, eye thing. What is it called? A, a sty. And poor thing, you know, the doctors won't help him. So I said, do you, mind if I, do you mind if I pray for you? So I laid hands on him and, you know, prayed for his eye right there, prayed for healing for him. So if the opportunity comes, you know, I'm ready. We're ready to share, right? But we got to be available. We can't just say, well, the only reason I want to hang out with you is so I can pray for you and convert you. No, we got to be available. We got to be willing to invest in people. And that's part of that lifestyle evangelism. 
Evangelism cannot be just something that we do, you know, five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. I talk to one person, okay, that's checked off. No, it's a lifestyle. And as we let our light shine, people are going to be drawn, amen, to the Lord. The second part of the Great Commission is, so one is evangelism. Second, Jesus said, so I want you to uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism, we talked about baptism coming up uh, here in, in a couple weeks here at Christian Embassy. You know, proof that someone is really transformed by the gospel message is that they're, they're willing to stand up in front of people in public and make that confession that they made in private, made that a public confession. Have you made a public confession? Not as a baby, you know, somebody baptized you, you didn't even know anything about it or had anything to say about it. I'm talking as an adult, you made the confession that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you've given your heart and life to him, and now he, he rules in your life, have you made that public confession? And if not, it's part of the commission. It's not an option. I think so many times we think, oh, you know, if you want to. No, it's, it's, it, it's, not, it's not a suggestion. It's a, it's a commission. It's a commandment. Amen? And so... We got to be, you know, when we talk to people, ask them, have you been baptized? If they say, you know, yes, I'm a Christian. Have you been baptized? How, how did that happen? Tell me, where were you? How was it? What did, how did you feel? You know, I, I love to tell the story of when I got baptized. I got baptized in a river. And that was interesting because I was scared of the critters that were in the water and stuff, you know, and I was like, woo, you know, but, you know, I did it, you know, and there were hundreds of people sitting on the edge of the river, you know, and cheering us on. And, and I'll never forget that day. In, in Romania growing up, they would not allow children to be baptized, to be water baptized until they were 16 because they said that, you know, they want to make sure that we understand what we're doing. And so I could not wait to turn 16 years old to get baptized, to get water baptized. So that, you know, I love to talk about that with people. And then, you know, you can ask questions. So we got to make sure that when we share and we talk to people about their relationship with the Lord, that they have been baptized. If not, let's get them baptized. Amen? That represents a commitment. It's kind of like, you know, two people when they fall in love and they commit to each other and they say, yes, I love you and you love me. But then it's important that they don't live together. It's important that they come together in covenant and they get married. So the baptism is that marriage ceremony that says to the world, amen, that I am committed to the, my Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, and that's why it's important, you know, when you get married that you do it, you know, so the world can see, and it's an image of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's powerful. It's powerful. So the, and then the third point is that we are to teach them. As we evangelize, as, as people are being drawn, that we are to disciple them, to teach them, to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And that's where I think that the church in America, that's where we're missing it, that Going to church is not necessarily discipleship. It is, but we have to be intentional. 
We have to be intentional. Am I going to a church where I am growing? Actually, I am growing. My spirit man is growing. Am I the same person in July that I was in January? Am I on my journey with the Lord? Is my relationship with the Lord closer in July than it was in, in January? Am I closer to the Lord than I was a year ago? Am I going somewhere in my relationship? Am I progressing? And if you're not, your relationship with the Lord is stagnant. And, and so we have to assess that, and that is discipleship. Amen? There's no neutral in our relationship with the Lord. We're either going forward or we're going backwards. Amen? And God wants us to go forward, but we got to be intentional about that and, and discipleship. So as a, a disciple, how many of you, not only are you an evangelist, but you're a disciple as well? Okay, go ahead and say, I am a disciple. Okay, so as a disciple, we have to, it's very important that we evaluate where we are on our spiritual journey. So tonight, I want you to evaluate yourself, and also then we're going to talk about helping others on their spiritual journey. Amen? And so I want us to evaluate, where am I on my spiritual journey, so then you can determine where you are and then where you need to go. I don't know about you, I am a very goal-oriented person. You know, if I'm trying to go to, um, you know, uh, Vermont, how are we going to get there? How long is it going to take us? You know, what kind of clothes am I going to wear? What kind of weather is going to be there? You know, I want to know all the details. How am I going to get there, right? I'm not just going to say, well, I'm going to get there somehow, you know. No, you got to plan it. You know, we plan our vacations more than we plan our spiritual journeys. We plan everything else about our lives more than we plan our spiritual journeys. And tonight, I want to challenge you to put your spiritual growth at the top of the list. Put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to follow. If our spirit, if our soul prospers, everything else around us is going to prosper. If our relationship with Christ is right, everything else is going to flow out of that. Amen? So we got to align ourselves and, and realize that our spiritual walk is top priority. Amen? Okay, so I want us to talk about five distinct stages of growth in our spiritual walk. So if you're taking notes, I'm just going to give them to you. And um, so I want you to write down each stage, and I want you to evaluate where am I at? And then how am I going to get from where I'm at to where I'm going? Okay, number one, the first stage is when a person is spiritually dead, meaning that he or she has not been born again. This stage is characterized by the word unbelief. Have you ever been around people, or maybe you were one yourself, who you just did not believe? You're like, you know, all of that sounds great. I just don't believe. And, you know, Ephesians 2.1 says that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. And thank God you're here tonight and you're not dead. And if you are dead, guess what? We can get you, we can bring you into a, a new life. We can get you born again. Amen? And so without Christ, we are separated from God. 
who is life, and when we're separated from him, we will eventually die a, a spiritual death. Amen? So that's why we need to tell people who are dead in sin about that they can be born again. You can be born again. You can have new life. Amen? And the uh, stage number two, if you are here and you are in stage number one, I want you to come after the service. It would be like my greatest, like my dream come true to pray with you and help you become born again. That would like make my year. Okay, so please, I beg you, if you are not born again, come after service and, and let me know and I will help you be born again and it's going to be like a, an amazing party. You know, like we're just really going to party, okay, because that's very important. Okay, stage number two. Every new Christian starts out as a spiritual infant. So uh, dead in sin, stage one. Stage two, spiritual infant. So once you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a spiritual infant. And as new believers, we're excited and eager to learn. You know, we want that milk, right? We, we're always hungry. You know, one thing about our baby when they were first born, they were always hungry. You know, it's like I could never get them full. And that's the same thing. New, new babies, they need more attention. They need more nurture. They need to be fed more often, right? Uh, you know, they were saying, you know, you have to feed your baby every three to four hours. Forget that. It was like, you know, I just needed to put an IV tube to them and just let them, you know, eat constantly. So some people have more appetite than others. But, you know, many people die spiritually or don't survive spiritually because they're not nurtured and cared for in this phase. And that's what happens at the Billy Graham crusade. If they were dead and they've come and they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they were never loved, cared for, and nurtured, and therefore... The 6%, they went from 25% of the people, you know, uh, uh, walking their faith out to 6%. So it's, this is a very critical stage. And so, um, you know, a lot of times people who are uh, newly saved, they tell everybody. They're so excited, you know. They tell all of their unsaved friends, and, you know, then their friends notice a difference in them. And, and it's just an exciting stage. But in that stage... Um, we as disciples, amen, we need, if we're discipling someone, we need to be available for them. And we need to be there to feed them the word. They need to be in church. Every opportunity they have, they need to sign up for all the discipleship classes we have available. Amen. And, you know, this stage, I, I remember a lot of people become, they uh, get a, um, Arrested development in their spiritual walk if they're not nurtured properly, spiritually. Okay? And so if you are in that here tonight and you're like, you know what? I accepted Jesus, you know, five, six, ten years ago, but I'm still an infant. And I, I've just never known how to grow from here. Um, I remember when we were with our youth group, we used to go um, in Romania, we used to go in the orphanages, and they would allow us to come and to hold the babies uh, because there weren't enough workers there to give each baby their individual nurture and attention. 
So I remember the first time I went, it was this humongous room just with metal beds, metal cribs, and these babies just laying flat there and just looking just in space. No human interaction, no human connection. And some of them were actually two and three years old and they couldn't even walk because they had just been laying there. There wasn't anybody to pick them up, to hold them, to, you know, hold them so they can walk. And they had arrested development physically, physically. It was the saddest thing. I'll never forget. It, it stuck with me for, you know, 30 plus years. I'll never forget that, that image. But so many times I see that in the spirit that, you know, we're not nurturing those people who are coming to know the Lord. We're not discipling them. And then we deal with arrested development where people are still babies. They still have a diaper on when they should be, you know, going to high school. And, you know, they still want a bottle and they still whine and they still cry, you know, and they still make messes. Because they were never nurtured and discipled. And if that's you, I want you to let me know. Because we're going to get you on the right track. Amen? We're going to, you know, religion is not going to grow you up. You know, you're, just because your mom or your dad was a Christian, and you're just a Christian because of your mom, you got to have your own spiritual walk. Amen? And so we want to get you, if you are in that stage, we want to get you to the next one. The next stage is, as an infant grows, they move into spiritual child stage of development. And at this point, they understand the basic language of faith. They can be excited about their faith, and in many ways, they're innocent and cute. However, they still act childishly and are often rebellious and self-centered in many ways. Now... Pastor Tim gave us a good word on Sunday about that, you know, walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, you know. So that's basically, you know, somebody who is in this stage, we're going to see a lot more of their flesh displayed, okay? And because they're just immature. Spiritual children tend to do what they should only when they're rewarded or threatened with some kind of punishment. Uh-oh, they may do the right thing, but it's usually to avoid an outcome they dislike or get something they want. So this is a person who is still spiritually a child. Now, many people come to us and they say, you know, I've got church hurt. That's another thing that we deal with in our culture is a lot of people have been hurt by the church. And I'm ready to pull my sword out. I'm ready to fight, you know. It's like, what? No abuse, you know. Who hurt you? You know, <laughs> I'm going to go hurt them, right? That shouldn't happen. We're to be a healing church, right? And so, then, you know, I got to say, okay, calm down here. It's not the church who hurt you. If you have church hurt, it's not the church who hurt you. It's religion. It's a religious spirit. And I'm so glad you got out of it. I'm so glad you're here. And if you know people who are under spiritual abuse and, and being abused by religion, you need to warn them and tell them to get out because it only gets worse. You know, people think they're stuck. People feel like slaves. You know, I have to stay here. You know, I have to stay under this abuse. This is what God wants for me. 
That's a lie of the enemy. God wants you healed and whole and free and, and full of joy and, and, and full of, you know, just the, the glory of God. He doesn't want you beat down and, and always punished and always, you know, fussed at, be fussed at. You know, if you grew up with abuse, physical abuse, you understand what that's like. Spiritual abuse is just as, as bad, if not worse. Amen? So be aware of that. If, you know, many people get stuck in, in this stage and they never grow up beyond being spiritually a child because they never dealt with spiritual abuse. And so you've got to deal with it in order to move on to the next stage and we can help you. That's the, that's the wonderful thing about God. He's, he's got a solution for every pl- problem. You know, you don't have to use any excuse of why you're not growing spiritually. Because God has provided the solution for that. So we don't want to do laws and legalism and all of that. It's the love of God. You know, the nurture, the kindness, you know, the goodness of God. And we discipline in love, right? I mean, with our kids, we love them, but we don't abuse them. We discipline them, but we don't, you know, break their spirit. We don't tell them, you're stupid. You're never going to amount to anything, you know. We, we don't tell them that. We correct them in love, and we encourage them to be better. We don't leave them where they are. We challenge them. Come on, you can do better, you did great, but let's see if you can do better. And we believe in them. We encourage them. Amen? And so um, I pray that we are going to move out. The, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not religion. Religion is never going to move out of the stage. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will move out of a child stage because that's not really where God wants us to be. It's a place that we got to go through, right? But God wants us to be what? Mature, to be grown up. Amen? Okay, stage number, where are we? Stage number four. Stage number four, as spiritual children grow up, they mature into the spiritual young adult stage. There you go. Some of you may be there. You've grown tremendously from where you started. You're eager to serve. Uh Uh-oh, that's a clue. From somebody who's a baby or a child to now they're a young adult. Now they no longer want to be carried around and catered to and pampered. Now they want to help. Wow, that's an interesting concept. Now they want to serve. What can I do? How can I help? How can I be a blessing to somebody else? Wow, that's a good sign of maturity. That's a good sign. You're going in the right uh, direction. And so uh, uh, young adults, spiritually, they think independently and look much like adults. However, they still have much to learn about responsibility and about how to care for the spiritual needs of others. And that's why it's so important that we have mentors and we have people who teach us. You know, we don't just pretend or say, oh, we just know it all. See, the problem in the church in America is not that we perish for a lack of knowledge. It's we perish because we think we know it all. And that's where some people are stuck. 
I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I know it all. And especially if you come from an abusive background, if you are spiritually abused. Because now you have a problem and an issue with authority. And I pray that God is going to heal you. You're going to be able to grow beyond that. You're going to have the attitude of, I don't know it all. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm eager to learn. I have a desire to be constantly learning and growing. Amen? Uh, young adults are zealous for God and can be characterized as being God-focused and other-centered, not self-centered. Uh-oh, that's exciting. I love talking to people who are not self-centered. I love it. You know, they talk about the Lord and they talk about others, how not in a bad way, but, you know, how can we help others? <laughs> okay, we don't talk about others like bad. No, that's your baby. You know, you're going back to being an infant and, you know, a toddler. We're talking about, you know, how can we help others? You know, how can we be a blessing to others? And so at this stage, many Christians become intentional or strategic about sharing their faith. Wow. And we'll see people converted, but they're not yet able to reproduce disciples who make disciples. They serve intentionally, but don't make disciples intentionally. So they still want their independence, and in some cases they should have it, but they need continued coaching and parenting. So here's where, you're, if you're stuck at this stage in the, being a young adult where you're not making disciples, it's because, you know, you want your independence. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. But, you know, God has created us to go beyond this stage. Amen? And so uh, the uh, fifth stage and last stage the final stage of spiritual development is where we become spiritual mature enough to reproduce disciples. And we become spiritual parents. And in this stage five, I'm not even going to call you, if you're at this stage, I'm not even going to call you an adult. I'm going to call you a spiritual parent. Because there are adults who don't have babies. But if you're a spiritual parent, you're going to have babies. Amen? So as Christians, we are called to make disciples. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' disciples, they all went through these stages. Nobody just comes into this world and is all grown and becomes a parent. You know, and, and we see how Jesus, and, and we even read in the Gospels how the disciples and Jesus patiently, I mean patiently put up with those disciples through every stage. And then right before he gets ready to leave, He's giving them these instructions because he's saying, okay, now you guys, not only are you grown-up disciples, now you're going to go and multiply. You're going to make disciples. Amen? And so as Christians, we, and, and as mature Christians, we are called to do our part to reproduce our faith in another. Adults are able to reproduce, but that does not mean that they are re reproducing. Amen? I know many Christians who have the ability to be spiritual parents, but they don't make it a priority. If you are a, a spiritually mature Christian in stage five, it still has to be something, a desire. You know, when we got married, I got married, I was pretty young, I was 21. And, you know, I didn't plan on having babies, you know, too young. But, you know, we got married and we were in love and, you know, we, this desire, all, it came out of nowhere. 
It's like, I want to have baby. I want to have a baby. And it's like, you know, I was thinking maybe like when I'm 25, 26, you know, enjoy my early 20s, you know, don't worry about diapers and bottles and all of that. But I was, what, 22, 23, and I just had this desire. And it's healthy for us to have a desire to reproduce. If we're healthy, we're going to have the desire. And if we have the love of God in our hearts, it's going to be a natural thing where it's not going to be a schedule thing. It's just, no, Lord, I want to reproduce myself. I want to lead somebody to know you. It's going to be a desire. And then you just ask the Lord, Lord, I need your help. So we must prioritize in our lives the mission of Christ. What was the mission of Christ? It was to seek and save the lost. He came for the lost. He came for the hurting. He came to make disciples. Are we making the mission of Christ our mission? Or are we so busy building our own kingdom here? And, you know, the American culture, you know, there's so many American people on, on um, antidepressants, and they're stressed, and they're depressed, and they're, you know, all these psychological issues is because we focus on the wrong mission. We focus on this stuff right here. And that would make me anxious. But I tell you, when we set our focus on the Lord, when we set our focus on the mission of God, and we seek first his kingdom and his right, there is joy in that. There's a, there, there's a fire. There's an energy that you get that it's like, wow, I have a purpose. I have a calling. I'm excited. You know, and my purpose goes beyond, you know, just working eight hours a day. My purpose goes into eternity. You know, when we look at it this way, I was talking to somebody today and they said, you know, uh, their son, Sister Diane, her sons have a business and construction out of all businesses. And if you've dealt with any construction business, you know, those are some of the roughest people in construction, you know. And, and she was saying, you know, our sons, they play Christian music and everybody who works for them, they've heard the gospel. And they, you know, they know, and they, you know, the majority of them serve the Lord. And the ones who don't, they know. They have that choice. Amen? So it is possible. It is possible for us to set an atmosphere wherever we are that people have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to bring others into the kingdom. And that is how Christianity is going to continue on this planet because Christians will reproduce spiritually and they will make disciples. And that's why tonight I wanted to share this message because I think it's so important that we're intentional. Am I winning my family to the Lord? Is my family serving the Lord? If they were to die tonight, would they go to heaven? And if not, ask the Lord. I mean, I think it's very interesting how the disciples spent all this time with Jesus. They saw him do the ministry. They were discipled by him. And then Jesus, you know, gives them the, uh, the commandment, you know, to go into all the world, make disciples, and, and, you know, teach. But then we find them, after Jesus leaves them, we find them hiding. 
hiding in a back room somewhere, scared to death. It's like, wow, are these the same people that were with Jesus? That encountered Jesus, that saw Jesus do all these miracles? And then, you know, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, you need to wait in Jerusalem, you know, before you actually go and to all the nations, you need to wait in Jerusalem because he knew they couldn't do it without the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's where the missing link is in our churches today is we try to do evangelism. We try to make disciples without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. You know, when we think of the magnitude of the need of the gospel to be preached. We can't do it. We're so limited. It's, it's enormous. But just look, after the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, out of all of them, you know, he would be the least likely, you know. You'd think it was John. John was going to be the one to, you know, stand up and preach. But it was Peter. Peter stands up after being filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches, and what takes place? multiplication, multiplication. How many people were saved? That first sermon he preached, 3,000. And then from then on, thousands and thousands and thousands. And guess what? You're here today because of their obedience. Will there be another generation here 50, 100 years from now because of your obedience? 200 years from now because of your obedience? Wow. I know, it's, it's heavy. But we need to talk about it. We need to talk about this stuff. If we're stuck in our growth and we're not reproducing and we're not making disciples, we got to grow up. Let's deal with whatever is holding us back. Let's not just keep on whining and complaining and, you know, be stuck. I don't like being stuck. I like moving forward. Amen? Let's deal with whatever it is and say, God, I want to grow to full maturity. I want to be a parent. I want to, you know, see people coming into the kingdom. And it's not in our own intellect, smart, you know, power. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his power. And then he's going to take our tongue and just like Peter, he was the cussing fisherman. That was his, his reputation. And now God, the Holy Spirit, is using that tongue to bring praises and glory to God. In such power that people are so convicted that they are coming to Christ by the thousands. So going back to my introduction, how does a nation become communist? A nation like Czech Republic. That you can go in their city center and everywhere you look, there's thousands of Christian symbols and this martyr in the middle of the city center who gave his life, was burnt to, to death because he stood up for the gospel. How does one nation become atheist? I believe that God wants us to wake up before America heads in that same direction and say, God, use me. God, fill me. God, anoint me. And if you don't know what that looks like, I'm going to ask Sister Ray to come up. This is what a spiritual mother looks like right here. Come on up. This is your birthday, so we're going we're gonna to spoil you a little bit. We're going to spoil you a little bit. 
this is what a, come on up, this is what a spiritual mama looks like. She's a spiritual parent. She, she's all grown. <laughs> and uh, if you, you know, I encourage you to hang around people like this. There, we have other spiritual mamas in, the, in this church. And I encourage you to, you know, if you're a lady, hang around the ladies. If you're a man, you know, Brother Harry, there's other men, mature men, spiritual parents who, um, and, and tell them, I want to learn. Teach me. How do you do it? And, and be eager, amen, to learn. So we're, we're going to give back to you because you're always giving. So I'm going to ask our prophetic team to come up and um, share uh, what the Lord has given you. And this is another thing that when, people, when you people come to our church and, you know, I share about the gifts of the Spirit, and they say, you know what, you know, we've gone, we've visited all these churches and, the, you know, I never heard of this. This is new. What are you talking about? like prophecy and, you know, and we cannot take the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit from the church. And so, you know, tonight I've got some uh, beautiful roses for you. We're going to give you physical uh, gifts, and, but we're going to give you spiritual gifts. How about that? We're going to bless you. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the prophetic. And so we're going to show you, there's your beautiful roses for your birthday. Yay! <laughs> and uh, we love you, and, and we just want to demonstrate what it looks like to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. And who wants to start? Praise God. Bless you, um, Sister uh, Ray. I'm just going to go ahead. I, I forgot to bring my... Bible. So I'm just going to go ahead and read what the Lord God has given to me. And um, in going before the Lord, I said, well, Father, what would you have me to um, share with Sister Ray? And the very first thing that came to me um, was that you need to know that you are adored, that you are loved by God, and that you are his precious daughter, and you are truly the apple of his eye. That it's not God's desire for you to suffer um, for, uh, for loss or for um, um, demonic attacks or um, for uh, calamity or death or things of that nature. You know, if there is to be a suffering, it's to be for righteousness sake. And there's a scripture, unfortunately I don't have my Bible, a scripture, Psalms 143, um, verse 11. Perhaps you can look it up later, but it does say that for righteousness' sake, that um, God calls you um, to be able to stand for his righteousness and for, uh, for his purpose. And so um, he wants you to know, your Abba Father wants you to know um, that he wants you to be victorious. At all times, you are to be victorious um, and that you are to be an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony, and when he gave me that, word was with the capital, so it's the word of God um, that you would testify of, um, that your suffering up until this point in your life was to establish you um, to be solid in the faith with confidence, assurance, and maturity so that you become a well-seasoned believer and child of God. With your place in the kingdom, um, 
as, a, as his child, um, God wants you to um, um, have his sonship. Because I, I know it's kind of hard to understand, well, you are a daughter, but he gives you sonship. And with sonship, um, he's given you his wisdom, his favor, and that you are always to be heard by God anytime that you pray, anytime that you speak with him, or anytime that you go to him, you have the ear of God. Amen? And that um, he will always listen to you. And uh, um, always with this open heart, come let us reason together, you know. Which, which he sees you um, as an equal. Let us reason together, you know. Tell me your ideas. What do you feel? What do you, what do you think, you know. So you can go ahead and do that with the Lord, okay. Um, also, it says that he will actually come to him asking. Um, he will always give you your heart's. Um, desire, and whatever your request may be. Um, because of his love for you, he sees your labor of love. He sees the works that you have done. He knows your heart and that he is pleased with you. And um, there's that scripture, Hebrews 6 and 10. At least I wrote that one out. Um, for God is not unrighteous um, to forget your labor of love. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints, and you do minister. Not only have you served in the church, but also in your family, with your friends, and with your loved ones, with the love of God that is in your heart. Finally, the word of God says to you, after you have suffered a while, then you are made per perfect, but you are perfected in his love, you are established in his kingdom. You are established in his favor. You are established in his righteousness. He strengthens you with his power and his spirit, and he settles you in his rest in those heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is his word to you. Ray, when I pray today and ask God about you, ask God to bless you, he showed me this beautiful peace lily. Um, that's what came into my spirit, a beautiful peace lily, and quietness and confidence is your strength. Sister Ray, um, I press into the Lord to ask him about you, and he says, my beloved daughter, a Proverbs 31 woman, he said, I know the secrets of your heart, they are mine. I sense such a smile from the Father over you, and it started to make me cry. And she loves to laugh. She loves to laugh. We love your laugh, but he said, she loves to laugh. And I, all of a sudden, I just had this overwhelming cry. I cried and I cried. And I have wept for what concerns you. I was overwhelmed with tears for, the love, for your loved ones. Maybe it was a private cry. I sensed it was a, just very quiet between you and him. And I heard the words, wise woman, I saw a vision of you picking flowers. And I asked, who is she picking flowers with? And the Lord said, with me. She's in my heart. She trusts me. And we will walk together stronger than ever. 
and I felt big peace. And then I was still kind of meditating, and then I said, oh, wait, Lord, what's the scripture I should give her? And all of a sudden, Psalm 8511 came to my mind and uh, my spirit, and so I went to the word, but I really feel this applies. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of earth, and the righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. As I was praying, <laughs> as I was praying um, for you, uh, the Lord gave me a song. <laughs> It's an old hymn, but it, I, so as it came to my mind, um, what I got was mainly the, um, the chorus of it as it starts, and it's the one, greatest thy faithfulness. And as, I, as it was coming to me, I was, what I was getting was that you have been faithful to the Lord, and um, even though you've gone through you know, different things, and, but yet you have stood and you have been very faithful to him. And the scripture that I got, because I, I, I knew you know, that song has, had a scripture, and the one, um, it's in Lamentation, and if you read it in Lamentation 3, and it's uh, verse um, 23, and uh, that's where it says, um, it starts in 22 actually, it says, because the, Lord, the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassion is, never fails. And then the 23rd, they are new every morning. Great is your faith, thy faithfulness. Yes, and that was the song that I got. So, you know, I says, I know it's an old hymn. <laughs> I said, I know she'll know it, and so, so uh, Brother Harry would know it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's what he wanted to know. And you're welcome. I love you. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. And whoa, this is the uh, icing on the cake. Yay, isn't this fun? You know, people usually, when, when we've done this to people, they said this was their most favorite part of their birthday. So um, this is something you can do at home. We're just modeling to you. And it's, you know, when you pray, ask the Lord to give you an encouraging word to give. It can be your children, your spouse, and just speak to them. That's going to be something that will stick with them. Once the chocolate is gone and the balloons lose the air and all of that fun stuff and the cake and all of that. So Isaiah 62.3 is what the Lord gave me for you. And he says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And one of the translations says, the Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of God. So happy birthday. Amen. So everyone, join us in the fellowship hall. Um, we have a cake there. And just, you know, if you have an encouraging word for her, um, you know, you can share that with her. And uh, let's just uh, stand and close with prayer tonight. Thank you all so much for your patience. You guys, I hope I, hope I wasn't too hard on you. Uh, I just had to share it. And, I, you know, I love you guys. And I, wanna, I want... God's best for you and for all of us. Amen. 
And I believe that God's taking us to greater things. Amen? So let's just take this word and say, God, here I am. Use me. Fill me. Lord, fill us tonight with your spirit. We can't do, we can't accomplish what you have called us to accomplish. Lord, we're honored, we're privileged that you would choose us. We're chosen. That you would choose us tonight to be your ambassadors, to represent you, to be an evangelist, to be a preacher. Lord, we're honored that you would entrust us with such a powerful message. But Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We need you, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, fill us with boldness, with boldness that we would not be afraid. We come against the spirit of fear that would try to hold us back and that would try to mute us or make our tongues heavy to where we can't open our mouth and declare your goodness. Fill us tonight with your spirit. And Lord, as we go, we thank you, God, for giving us opportunities to share your goodness and your love to those around us. And Lord, bring us back here Sunday, Lord, ready, filled, Lord, to worship you, Lord, and help us bring somebody with us. In Jesus' name, amen.